This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, June 22nd, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. Conservatives used to be optimists, right? But when it comes to big tech and the widely touted threat it poses for the ability of conservatives to share their opinions and arguments to their audience, conservatives seem less than interested in advancing or adopting open source or blockchain-based solutions for their communication needs. Matthew Feeney directs Cato's Center for Emerging Technologies. Conservatives have a lot of beefs with big tech and social media in particular. Uh, when you go through the, the list, what seems to be at least the most reasonable sounding to you? Of the concerns associated from with the Republican Party? Is that, yeah. I think if you take a look at the Republican Party, there are a range of complaints about what people call big tech, which is a label I have a number of issues with, because mostly because it includes Twitter, which I think by any reasonable definition really doesn't belong in the same category as Facebook or Google. But let's put that to one side. There are a bunch of companies uh, called big tech, and uh, Republicans are very angry at these companies. So why are they? Uh, the most prominent, I think, of the criticisms is that there is a bias in Silicon Valley against conservatives. So the allegation is that uh, these companies are run by people who are very left of center and those political biases trickle down into content moderation. And as a result, uh, prominent conservative activists and conservatives uh, find themselves either so-called deplatformed or kicked off these platforms. Uh, the most prominent probably being probably being, of course, the former president of the United States, uh, Donald Trump, who uh, was removed from Twitter and Facebook. Uh, now, that that concern, I think, is uh, understandable given the media environment we're in. Um, I haven't seen hard, great empirical evidence that it's true. But but for us as, as libertarians, I think the most important thing to consider is even if it is true that the Silicon Valley giants are hell-bent on making sure that conservatives don't have a voice on the internet, what should the policy response be? Be. And there, I think we've seen an interesting schism emerging in the Republican Party because we've seen more Republicans uh, coming off as very open to government regulation in the form of either antitrust or Section 230 reform. Uh, and I think that is, uh, I guess, pretty interesting from a historical point of view, but worrying from a regulatory and legal point of view. Right. So, uh, assuming that there is this divide between uh, conservatives and, uh, we'll say progressives, they both seem to want to regulate big tech and yet they don't really seem to have a coherent thought about how to do it. That's right. There are two sides to this, uh, this attack on big tech. If you're sitting in Facebook's offices, you're dealing with criticisms from progressives as well as some of these, uh, conservatives in the Republican party. Now, the Concerns are based on different kinds of concerns. If you listen to some members of the political left, the concern about companies like Facebook and Twitter is that they don't do enough to tackle misinformation, also called deepfake content, election interference, or harassing um, and harmful content. If you are listening to criticisms from the political right, you'll hear concerns about political bias. Now, it's it's true that you are, you have both of these uh, concerns, but it's not clear to me how these 
arrive in a legislative package that both sides can agree on because the Republicans who are concerned about this are worried that these companies are taking down too much content and the left is worried that they're keeping too much up. Now, how do you square this whole in legislation? I don't think you really can, especially when it comes to the law called Section 230. But what you have seen more recently is a bipartisan push on uh, on antitrust, uh, the, uh, the the this this approach to uh, supposed monopoly power. Uh, now, there, I think the left's concerns are at least consistent or ideologically coherent there. The the problem I find with some of these approaches from the political right is if your worry is bias in Silicon Valley, it's not clear to me how breaking up these companies will reduce that bias or change minds. Uh, You could break uh, Twitter and Facebook into a million pieces, but each of those million pieces will still have the First Amendment right to disassociate themselves from content they find objectionable. Uh, So there, I I think it it, it might not be the right mechanism to address bias per se, but at least it's uh, an attack on big tech. And I I do think, unfortunately, that's where a lot of um, Republican lawmakers are are looking these days. Right. The uh, claim from conservatives, to try to boil down what you just said, the claim from conservatives is these social media platforms, big tech broadly, ought to adopt a First Amendment standard. Right. And the attack from the the left is, well, we just got to get rid of all this content that is offensive to truth, mm-hmm. however defined. Right. Mm-hmm. And there there is, does not appear to be a way to bridge that gap. That's true, and uh, I think it is it is fine for for people to hold up the First Amendment as a laudable standard. And certainly, as as classical liberals, we look at the First Amendment as a great protection of of liberal values. But because it's a restraint on government, which is it is a very tolerant piece of legislation, and it says, absent very very few exceptions, America is the best country in the world for free speech. You are free to to say what you want. Um, However, it's not workable as a private sector content moderation policy. There are places in on the internet you can go if you want almost no content moderation, but they're not very visited. And the problem is that the First Amendment makes legal a ton of awful content that most people don't want to associate with. We're here talking about, say, you know, beheading videos or images of animals being crushed to death, uh, footage of of murders and uh, you know, pornography, these kind of things. And what what I the struggle here is that while that's clearly unworkable uh, as a standard, I think it's rhetorically very powerful. Uh, what, what I think is important to keep in mind is that the internet is much bigger than so-called big tech here. If your issue is with a handful of Silicon Valley companies, uh, I, I do not know why government intervention or regulation is, is the answer there. Uh, I oftentimes think in these big tech debates that um, interesting alternatives uh, other social media platforms or services that are trying different governance mechanisms are oftentimes overlooked, and I think that's a shame. I think that what you're saying kind of gives lie to this notion that conservatives just want to be able to communicate broadly and freely with one each other, but also an audience, mm-hmm. because there are so many available platforms that are not and never will be a part of big tech, however, in scare quotes, big tech. Um, You and I were talking before we started recording. Mastodon is essentially an open source Twitter. Mm. Uh, Theta, among other video streaming um, cryptocurrencies, allow for completely unfettered uh, communication because there there is not 
this central authority, a company that owns buildings full of servers that can tell you, oh, you don't get to communicate with one another. That's right. And and oftentimes when people are discussing big tech, I, I think one of the regrettable things about the, the debate is it's often overlooked how centralized and um, borderline authoritarian these companies are within their own bounds, which is, you know, YouTube and Facebook, they make the rules. Then there's one set of rules. And if you want to come onto their platform, you follow those rules. And if you uh, don't obey those rules, then you're supposed to be kicked off or have some action taken against you. But some of the services you just mentioned, I think, are, exper- are experimenting with more decentralized content moderation uh, protocols and systems. And that's, to me, very interesting. I think many people who have been brought up in the social media age are understandably a little bored of this centralized system of content moderation and are looking for something where there is no CEO in a building just writing rules about what you can and cannot say. Uh, the the rules are increasingly decentralized. Uh, and, and as I mentioned earlier, uh, there seems to be a vibrant um, ecosystem on the internet where people can speak and find peers and speak to one another. Uh, but regrettably, so much oxygen in, in on Capitol Hill is being sucked out of the room by conversations about you know four or five companies, uh, and and as as libertarians you know, we we always talk about the risk of regulatory capture, and I don't think it's a surprise that many of us have seen adverts on on YouTube or elsewhere on the internet or Facebook now coming out and saying yes, look, we agree, the internet laws the, or the laws that govern the internet need to be updated. Yeah, uh, you're referring to Facebook, of course. Well, of course, Facebook is now said, look, Section 230 is 26 years old, give or take, and it's time to for a, a revamp, uh, to look at this again, uh, which is fine for a company that's worth billions of dollars and already in entrenched in the market to say that. And a, and a company, we should add, that replaced several other companies, and but their ascendancy effectively destroyed them. Well, of course, right. This is, <laughs> but if you are, um, if you know, we we should remember history, right? Which is that uh, these these companies are not around because of uh, a law of nature. Uh, the, their success is not written in stone. However, they will become a lot harder to compete against if you pass regulations that only they can comply with. It's it's no surprise to libertarians, at least, that once there's rumors of regulation or laws, the Googles and the Facebooks of the world who can hire more engineers and lawyers than God descend on Capitol Hill with lobbyists and want to make sure that, well, look, if there are going to be new laws and regulations, at least we're going to be able to comply with them and we'll be able to uh, be safe in this environment. And that's that's very worrying. So why aren't conservatives more bullish on the ability of smaller firms and open source products to compete with a big tech? One of the main reasons, I think, is... Uh, they don't have enough time in that they're thinking in very short cycles, namely election cycles. Uh, there's a perception which I think is accurate, which you have to give them this, which is that Facebook is the most dominant social media platform in the world. And there is an impact on how to reach as many people as you want if you're kicked off Facebook. It would be naive to say that that doesn't have an impact. Uh, however, the the fact that you have you know, an issue you want to identify here with you know the the power of Facebook uh, shouldn't mean that you automatically reach to to regulation. Um, part of it, though, also might just be uh, be ignorance of the facts. I mean, I do think that um, a lot of the services that we've discussed in this podcast, many people haven't heard of. Uh, I, I've tried you know on numerous occasions to mention these alternative uh, services and platforms out there, um, but. 
yeah, at the moment, they're pretty small and not all of them will succeed. But if you want to give them a chance to compete and to displace current market incumbents, the best thing to do is to make it uh, as easy as possible to compete against them. Uh, and unfortunately, I think efforts like Section 230 reform will make it harder to dethrone the Googles and the Facebooks of the world. Matthew Feeney directs Cato's Center for Emerging Technologies. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast pretty much anywhere. Follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 